Welcome back, my dear friends, to another episode of Think Torah. We are a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network. Go check us out for great content on this feed, Menachem Poznanski's Consciously feed, on Simi Learners, Judaism from Within feed, and on my father's Perkyavis feed. I just want to mention that we have a really great uh, series going up, my father and I. It's called Around the Shabbos Table. Um, they're really evergreen episodes, so you can listen to them. They're not connected to that Shabbos nor that Parsha of the week. So it's a really evergreen kind of content for you to uh, to listen to. Today's conversation is really awesome with Rabbi Ruven Spolter, the founder of Kita, which is an online learning pr- platform, which you will find out much more about in the episode. Um, we talk about what it means, what does it take to teach online, and how Rabbi Spolter's Kita aims to bring back some some of the lost meaningful connection that we have with the Torah, uh, back to online learning and not onto Torah learning. So join us for a uh, a really awesome episode. I want to tell you today about a product I saw. I sort of had a process to to appreciating it. And I'm going to bring you through that process for you. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the musician, artist, Ethan Katz. So he is a, a really an amazing voice in Yiddishkeit and in Frumkeit. Um, he brings a meaningful and passionate voice to Jewish music, to Kumsitz music. He himself has transformed the way we sing and the way we engage with singing. And I think he's really a beautiful, um, a beautiful human being as well, if you ever had the chance to hear him speak or, or, or hang out with him. And Eitan Katz just released a USB stick, 10 of his albums on it. So originally when I saw it, I said, who's going to want with 10 of his albums? I'm pretty sure he has more. And I looked on Spotify. You all know that I'm a big Spotify guy. And I checked out Spotify and there's more. And there's more singles and there's more of the things that he's done um, on there. So why would I want this USB stick? And I think this speaks to the importance of sort of what we're going through today, that you can get everything for free on the internet, but sometimes you have to pay for having something. So I think that this USB stick speaks to something, that having something is important. And also, it's such a nifty little thing that you could just plug it right into your computer. You don't need to stream it from the internet. And you always have his music with you to um, to really transform your day. You can go check it out. It's The, the link is, I'll put it in the, the show description, but it's atimecats.com slash USB. Not very expensive for such an awesome thing and for all this awesome music. atimecats.com slash US forward slash USB. And without further ado, here is Rabbi Ruben Spolter. All right, all right. Welcome back to another episode of Think Torah. This is Torah Game Changers. And today I have with me probably the biggest game changer I, I've met so far. Wow, that's a compliment. That's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> well, I've seen a lot of people using the um, using platforms well, but I, I think that you're you know you're more at the root of the platforms, and we'll talk to that where you're really innovating at the at the platform level. So, and uh, that's that's what I've seen. So, is the founder and director of Kita, which you can find at kita.org. It's a new online Jewish learning platform bringing Jewish learning to Jewish schools and Jewish homeschooling families around the world. They currently have Kita for home and Kita for school. Besides just for his online learning, he also served 
as a rabbi both in Oak Park, Michigan and West Hartford, Connecticut from, for 10 years, from 1998 to 2008. He's taught formally and online for over 20 years. He's the founder of another online project called the Mishnah Project, Mishnah.com. CO. CO. Com was taken. Mishnah.co. I figured if Apple could be Apple.co, I could be Mishnah.co. So he, it's also, it is similar to Kita, where it's an online flip learning initiative focused on using the power of visual learning to bring Mishnah Yomit program to a global audience. He's taught and lectured to groups of all ages and communities around the world. Now, Rabbi Swalter, obviously, you've done both the formal teaching as a, as a community rabbi. Um, I would love to talk to that. If not now, a different day. To, we'll, talk, very, we'll talk shop later, right? Yeah, that's very very close to my heart, um, community rabbis and, and that that um, transition to, to online learning. But can you tell me, how did you get into... And how did how did these programs grow? How did Kita.org grow? Where was where was the initial seed from? And uh, and and also Mishnah Yomit. I think from what I see that they're very it's a similar uh, mission statement on both of them. Okay, so you the the way you started that I was a, a community rabbi. I think it starts from there that when you're a community rabbi and you make Aliyah, then you know like I was doing my thing and you know teaching locally here and there, but you feel like you want to have an influence. You want to make a difference. You you know. People listen to you. They used to care what you think. And now, like, you, you make Elian, less so. You're, you're, you're just a regular guy, and that's fine. So I was writing a blog, like everybody, during the late 19, 2010s or whatever after I made Elian. And it takes a long time to write a good blog piece. It takes, you know, it's, it's work. And I realized that people were reading it, but I realized after it was, I would write a piece, and it would be fine, and then you'd never see it again. It goes off into the... Into the, into the Google sphere somewhere. Maybe somebody reads it, maybe somebody doesn't. And I felt like if I was going to do something, I wanted it to have impact. I wanted it to, to mean something. And a few things happened at the same time. Uh, first of all, I was learning Mishnah with my sons. For many years, I learned Mishnah with my sons. We would learn a, a Mishnah a day, two Mishnah a day based on the Mishnah. I don't remember. We would learn one or two. For a number of years, we went through, with a couple of my sons, I went through uh, Mishnah. And, uh, and at the same time, somehow I had seen, I think, a 60 Minutes report on this thing called Khan Academy. Most people who have never heard of Khan Academy assume it's Jewish. Sal Khan is not Jewish. He's Indian, right? He spells it K-H-A-N, not K-A-H-H-N, okay? And so if you don't know what Khan Academy is, that's the basis for so many of the things that I do. He innovated this thing called flip learning. He said, listen, it's great for a bunch of kids to sit in a class and the teacher to tell them, you know, how to do, I don't know, uh, a logarithm or whatever. He said, but some of the kids understand, some don't. They're all at their different speeds. And if the child didn't understand, then how, he has no way of going back and understanding again. So I'll t what I do is I record on YouTube this amazing lesson. He, he actually, he's clearly a great teacher. And he says, I record this lesson and then you can watch it whenever you want. You watch it at night. And then to do the problems, you come into school and do the problems in school, when the teacher can help you, you know, to get it right and whatever. That's the idea of the model called the flipped classroom, where you do the learning at home online, and then you do the problems in this school. This did not take off at schools at all. Schools were very threatened by it. The very few schools that actually adopted the, the Khan Academy flipped classroom model. Certain teachers do it, but very, very few schools. And I think there are, there are a lot of reasons we could talk about why that is. But Khan Academy as a platform exploded. He found he got a lot of funding. He had people from all over the world who were learning with him. It just the views spoke for themselves. So I follow these things. So now he gets 30 million views a month, and he's up to 1.8 billion views. And these are views of 
literal learning. It's not like, you know, cat videos and it's not, it's not entertainment. It's not, it's not edutainment. It's somebody talking to you behind a screen. You can't even see that person explaining to you some lesson in history or math or whatever. And I thought to myself, that's unbelievable. This is an incredibly powerful tool. And one of the things that people who are like, because I'm, I guess, more modern, less Haredi, you realize everything is on the internet, you know? And when we say everything, everything is on the internet, you know, for better or for worse. But included in all the worse is all the good. Kol HaTorah Kula is on the internet. Literally, pshuto kemashma'o. People were exposed to it and they would know what's on the internet. It would blow your mind. Every sefer ever existed in history is available to you, most of them for free on the internet. You know, there's a book, that if you've ever seen, you have to go to Hebrew books. You have to know Tzara Chochmah. You have to learn how to find these things. Most people don't know how to find these things. And so when they see the internet, they see this literal cesspool, which is 100% correct. But they can't see that if you know how to find it, there's incredible stuff. So I say, why don't I combine this love of Mishnah that I have together with this idea of trying to build this Khan Academy? And I started as a hobby. And also, I have to add one more thing about myself. I'm what you would call a very visual learner. People who are in education understand that there are a number of different modes of education. There's auditory learning, there's sensory learning, there's visual learning. Meaning, if I see a Mishnah in my head, I immediately put it into a chart. I try to understand, and I try to see it, and I try to visually understand it, and, and that way it makes it better for me to understand and appreciate. And so you could do these things on, on YouTube. You can say, okay, here's the Mishnah, and now here's the chart that I made for you in order to understand the Mishnah. Here's the Gemara, and there's a guy who does this. Here's the flow chart that I created in order to stand, understand the, the way the sugya uh, uh, you know, plays out. And so I started doing on Mishnah. You know, I started with Brachot, Masechet Brachot. Mishnah Yomi started maybe five years ago. And every day, get up to make the donuts, quite literally, you know, like two Mishnayot a day, recording, you know, this, this called, called a screencast. You see me in the corner, you see the Mishnah, and uh, anybody who's followed it, you can follow it on Mishnah.co. I have almost all of Shas now. We're in Masechet Kelim, almost at the end, you know, you know, it's a long time. You know, and I did it in my house. I did it, you know, from the office. I've done it in airports. I've done it in hotels. I've done it in wherever I was around the world. That's, you know, you have a laptop, we'll travel, and, and you record it. I did this for many years. And I know I didn't do anything to promote it, literally nothing at all. I'm not just talking. And you can, if you have any questions, feel free to ask me. No, I'm fascinated. <laughs> okay. this I'm is, good. I will. Okay. And I just, and I saw over time that uh, people started subscribing to it. Like people would just find it, and this, you know, and then the numbers you see over, you can follow it over years. You know, like you have ten views a month, ten views a day, twenty views a day. You know, and, and subscribers, and a subscriber means in YouTube they don't, they they get access, they see it on their feed, they see that there's a new video. That doesn't mean they they definitely watch it, but you know, they would just subscribe, and I did nothing to promote it. I mean, because who has time? It was just it was just the thing that I did every day. And so when COVID hit, I, I, I was like committed to, I really wanted to rebrand it. I have, I have big dreams for this idea of Mishnah Yomit. I did Daf Yomi for a number of years, and it's a very important thing. Daf Yomi is blessed with incredible PR. But Daf Yomi is just literally, anybody who knows, learns the Daf understands it's not meant for everyone. It's just not, it's not meant even for the Hamon Am. I mean, even in the best of communities, you have a very tiny percentage of people that are learning Daf Yomi for the very simple reason that it's a ton of material. It's hard to remember. It's not built for everyone. Mishnah Yomit is literally perfect. 
It's a small amount of material. You could do it in about 10 to 15 minutes every day. You got it on audio. There's video. People put it out. Everyone has access to a Mishnah. My dream, and if you're interested in listening and you want to join me on this stream, spolter at gmail, rspolter at gmail.com, because my dream is when the, when the new... Um, when the new cycle comes in next December, we have to begin a worldwide movement that people, when you get on a plane, you should see, just like everyone's learning the daf, you should see five people learning the Mishnah, or 10 people, or 30 people, because there's no reason why everyone, every Jew in the world shouldn't be learning something every single day. That's my personal thing. And you want to do it my way, that's great. You want to do it in the book, that's great. You want to do it in audio, there are plenty of ways to do it as well. But uh, that's well, is I it available now? It's just, it's just a screencast now? It's, it's a, I do a screencast on OU. They have audio. Plenty of people do it. There's like a million ways to do it. So there's a guy I know he reached out to. He publishes a PDF in Hebrew of his own like text. Well, he said the text is too hard. So he makes like a mini kahati. There's like, a, you find all these people who are doing all these things. There's a guy in Australia who puts out audio and also publishes the Mishnah every, every week. He puts, sends out a whole synopsis of the Mishnah Yomit every week. So are there all these like grassroots things, if we can find a way to organize them, my dream for my site is that it becomes a repository for people to share. That it, you, you sort of like a, a social network on, on the Mishnah where people can share materials and share ideas. And uh, as you all well know, that's great, except it takes, you know, financing in order to make the site into what it's supposed to be. But Bezrat Hashem, we'll get right, there. The that's the Mishnah project. And, and marketing there. But can I speak to Mishnah for a minute that it's so, I love the... Um, returning to the fundamentals of, of the Mishnah Yoma program, that we have to, as much as, even if someone learns Gemara every day and be it Daf Yomi, it is as well, it's so important to go back to the Mishnah and just have those churning um, in, your, in your head every day. So, Well, if you're a learned person, you could do it pretty quickly. I mean, if you, if you know, for some of them, you could actually, you could do it very quickly. I mean, you're like, just like Gemara Brachot, somebody who, know, who learns can, can, you know, can daven up the Daf. But what I like to tell people is, in Mishnah, you'll come through every you know, topic and concept in Shas. If you really want to know, have a broad understanding, just of the concepts and the ideas, you know, every concept, Tadr V'Sheinu Tadr, Tadr Kodem, or you know what I'm saying? Like, just think of any topic, it's in, you have to hit it in Mishnah. And Gemara, it definitely goes much, much deeper, of course, without a doubt. But I, I always felt like, <laughs> maybe you'll appreciate this, I felt like Gemara is like baseball, okay? Imagine I told you, okay, you can play baseball, but you better be done in 27 minutes or 40 <laughs> minutes. And, and you say, well, that would be an interesting game, but that's not, that's not baseball. You know, when you put a clock on baseball, it's just not, not baseball anymore because the whole idea is you play until you get me out, right? The idea of Gemara is, and it's, anyone who went to yeshiva knows, it's to pull apart a sugya and to understand it. Sometimes it takes a long time, sometimes a short time. But Chazal never dreamed that you would just sit there and just read through what they said without really having the time to think about it. You know, Bikiyut is supposed to be uh, in order to be, you know, uh, uh, the, the term the Gemara uses, you want to be a, one is Oker Harim, what's the other one? You want to be a, you know, you'll help me out here. You don't remember, but somebody will remember and know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's to, in order to bolster your knowledge, in order to understand it in a deeper way. Whereas Mishnah, the Gemara always talks about Mishnah was Halacha, of knowing the facts, of knowing what to do. And so if you want to, I also like to say, you know, you could learn all the Shas Gemara, and if you don't do Zeraim and Tarot, you didn't learn Shas, sorry. It's, you know, it's nice to say you learned Shas, but you didn't learn Shas. It's called Shas because it's Shisha Sidre 
Mishnah. So that's the Mishnah project. That's, that, that got me started. And uh, came COVID time, and I had free time, so I decided I rebranded it into the Mishnah project and, uh, and uh, expanded my dreams. And I started doing actually interesting things like videos on Facebook to promote it, and I started writing articles, and people would hear about it. And the more people hear about it, more people subscribe. Today we have over 650 subscribers. I started a WhatsApp group. There are 75 people on the WhatsApp group that are getting it every day. So, uh, you know, if you're interested in getting the Mishnah every day on YouTube and joining and you're listening here, bit.ly slash daily Mishnah. That's another thing that you can do. Very easy to find. You could just, you know, you, you go we'll to that put, address we'll and you'll get to my all this. I'll put links to all this in the, uh, in the show notes. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of links. <laughs> it's good. It's funny because also during COVID, I, I like sort of, um, I reinvigorated my my relationship with Mishnayas and, and just started learning them. Um, and it's hard because when you do, when you've done Gemara and then you go back to the Mishnah, you're sort of learning Gemara through the words of the Mishnah and hmm. you like put it in. So it has, you have to cut that part out and just learn the Mishnah. Um, and I found that it's so interesting to me to see like the broad you do, you can do a full Masechta in pretty fast and then you see this whole, this broad picture. So what, what's like something you took away from doing this Mishnah project? I don't want to stop here, but I, I, I find this is fascinating. Just seeing so much Mishnah in so in so pretty pretty little time. It's not not so interesting. You mean the, just the idea of doing it day after day? So like once you do it in a cycle, you start getting used to it. You start getting more accustomed to it. Actually, what's more interesting to me, the, the I, I've changed over time. So it just happens to be that in the past few years, I've started. I I I, I studied towards a master's in in Gemara in Talmud at Bar Ilan University. And, and that really opened my eyes to girsaot issues, language issues, text issues. And then all of a sudden, you're like learning a Mishnah. You see it like it's right in front of you. It's, it's so many Mishnayot. Like they have this one has this word version and that one has that word version. And what's the implication of a word? So people who follow me along will notice that I'll start adding these interesting tidbits in as I move along. And, and like the learning changes as we change because our interests change and our attitudes change. So I'm, I, I'd be interested when we flip over and I go back to Brachot to see, you know, what, what I was interested back then and what I wanted to emphasize as opposed to, as opposed to now. You know, because we change over time, our interests change, you know, and now I might be wanting to learn Gemara, Liba de Hilchata, and then I'm not, I'm not interested in Liba de Hilchata. I want to do, you know, the Brisker Lambdas. It all depends on what you're interested in. Okay, so that's, that's the Mishnah Project. And then how did, um, how did Kita start? Okay, so I realized, so the Mishnah Project, again, every Mishnah is probably minimum three minutes maximum. The, the longest it ever was was 15 minutes. Like, you know, the last Mishnah in Kinim. If you've ever done the last Mishnah in Kinim, it's like Chazal decided they wanted to do, like, let's play uh, logic games. So you have to go through and understand what the possibilities are. And again, when you do it on, on, on a video, you can really chart it out and whatever. But those are short. And it's also designed for someone who's not looking to go in, in depth to understand something. And I realized that the, the true model of the Khan Academy was educational, that it was meant to help someone who, who wants to learn something, but either doesn't have access to a teacher or doesn't have the ability to understand from a teacher or, or, or anything of that nature. Or to be truly honest, the flipped model classroom is ideal in a classroom setting. So, so what I realized was the Mishnah Project is actually <laughs> It's really fascinating. I once walked into a high school in America and a kid goes, hey, you're Rabbi Spolter. I said, I don't know, we met? 
He said, uh, no, we watch your Mishnah videos all the time. I, I'm cool. quite sure, it, I, I, I get unbelievable emails. I mean, unbelievable emails. Like I once got a response saying, thanks, you helped this Kikita Dalit Ima help explain her, the Mishnah to her son before his test. I get a ton of those. They're like, you know, because that's how people learn nowadays. That really is how people learn. They look for it on YouTube. Who can help me with, with understanding this? But it's not enough. It was, it's too fast. The Mishnah Project assumes, and you're learning anything, you assume that you have knowledge. And, and there's no way to understand if, if you're trying to learn something for the first time. And so what I realized also was, and as, as society has, and I'm putting quotes here, right? Arne is seeing my, my hands quoting up, progressed with the cell phones of the world, any teacher will tell you that students are becoming less and less capable when it comes to the decoding, deciphering, or reading of text. Okay, and this is true in Limudei Chol, it's true in English, it's true in, and it's, how should we say, Al-Achat Kama V'Kama, it's true in Limudei Kodesh. It's true in Israel all the same way. As the world is moving, migrating more and more video, more and more we want to watch things, we want to be spoon-fed things, we're not willing to do the work we need to do in order to understand and decode. Okay. And, and that's all nice and good for society. If you don't want to read an article about, you know, about, uh, about the Washington uh, Wizards, that's fine. You can watch a video about it. It's much more exciting. But un not unfortunately, Baruch Hashem, we were given a Torah, and the Torah was Torah Shebikhtav, and Torah Shebaal Pit is written down. And if you are not able to uncover and decipher the text in its original, you are just going to be locked out totally locked out of a connection to Yiddishkeit in a very real and meaningful way. And you see it more and more. I don't have to tell you, you went to shul. How many balabatim in the shul that you grew up in were able to follow Chumash in Hebrew? Just simply follow along with the Balkore reading in Hebrew. And you're like your shul, from what I understand, was like uh, was a Kirov shul or whatever. All these people went to Hebrew school. All of them had a bar mitzvah. Correct? Yeah. It was all the, the English side of the stone chumash. That's where we uh, that's where we hung out. <laughs> Somebody told me now Art School is now doing Tosfos in English. They're now putting out Tosfos in English, which is a on the one hand fascinating and on the other hand just terribly disturbing. At some point, what time? At what point do you say, listen, if you can't read it, then you shouldn't be able to. You know, it's not going to help you. You shouldn't learn. I don't know. I really don't know. It's a very interesting question. I guess if you want to learn Tosfos in English, be my guest. You know. I, I, I mean, I'm amazed at the people that can read a Gemara and art school and really understand it. There's something about, like you said, it's Tarshabal Peh, it's transmitted, and, and it has to be explained to you. But anyway, so I realized that this, that, that, that you know, what was Khan Academy great at? It's great at, at teaching a very, a very uh, basic idea in a very clear way using this visual, using this flipped method. And so I said, wouldn't it be great? One of the things that teachers have troubles with that schools have trouble with is teaching text. And, you know, I can teach you the Mishnah, I can teach you the Gemara, but usually now when they teach Mishnah, they'll say, they'll teach the kid what the Gemara says. You know, they'll explain what the Gemara says. But if you, to teach them what the Gemara means, to read it and say, okay, now read me the Mishnah, it's literally like pulling teeth. And I know this because I didn't just teach in, in schools, I taught in schools also. I have experience doing this. And you have to have a lot of uh, a lot of force and power. And I, didn't, I haven't taught in the past 15 years, I mean, 10 years in America, so I don't know, and I'm sure it's gotten worse. So getting children, and imagine a diverse group of children. Some of the kids have learning disabilities. Some of them are advanced. 
There's 25 kids in a classroom. You know, Moshe David gets it right away. Yankel has no idea what's going on, and you have a spectrum in the middle. Now get them all to sit and learn the first Gemara in Masechet, you know, in, in the fourth parak of Brachot. Right, and then your teacher becomes, the, it strains that relationship between the teacher and the student. They become a disciplinary, and it's just not a... Uh, Correct. Class, so schools, many down. schools, and I don't know in more yeshiva schools, because I'm, I'm sure they, they think they don't do this, and I'm sure they don't want to do this, but some schools, many schools, are, are, are knowingly saying, yeah, it's our job to make the, the child love Yiddishkeit. And if we're going to have to sacrifice this, the tech skills in order to do that, then that's what we have to do. And I, and, and I don't know if I disagree with him. I, I think I understand if that's the choice you have to make. But my idea is, okay, then if I can say, use the flipped classroom model to ensure that the kids are exposed to the text. Have, they have to read the text because they have to understand words. They're going to answer questions. They're going to, they're going to learn the basic knowledge at home. And therefore, the first time they read it in school is not the first time they're exposed to it, but they've learned it and decoded it beforehand. That could be an incredibly empowering tool to make the learning that much better, that much more meaningful in the classroom. And that's where the idea of Kita started, of taking this model of flipped classroom learning and using it in order to help teachers uh, um, uh, encourage the study of text and help students, help children be, be more able to understand the texts that are so critical to being, to being a functioning Jew in the, in the religious world. That's the idea of Kita. It has an extra challenge. Uh, Kita has an extra challenge over the Khan Academy model because Khan Academy has to teach the skills and then practice the skills. But Kita is, wants to approach also the love of learning and the love of Torah and the love of Judaism. So it's an extra challenge. How does, uh, in this flip model, the really it's, it's an extra, it's a totally different model than Kita, according to this. So then how do they do that in the classroom? How would the teacher impart that? love of Torah and just the excitement for, for learning. Oh, so I think that I make that easier for the teacher because I take away all the difficult, what does hachi mean? What does haba mean? You know, we already did that in the kita. My job, I, I agree with you, I don't think I can impart love of learning on a video. I mean, I can impart my excitement for it. I can, I can, be, I can be a great teacher, but love of learning comes from that connection between the rab or the mora and the student, the teacher. Meaning, I'm not, I don't think that Kita should come in place of what goes on in the classroom. It comes before what goes on in the classroom. I like to think of Kita as sort of like, imagine if you had, you know, we all had it when we were growing up, like a workbook. You know, okay, do page seven in the workbook. But imagine if the workbook actually explained the material to you. So that you, you could, so you say, well, like, you know, what does Uruminhu mean? I don't know. Okay, click on this video and the rabbi will read it to you and he'll tell you what Uruminhu means. Okay, now we come to school. So now what does the teacher have to teach? So now the teacher has to teach what the Gemara says, not how to read the Gemara, what we learn from the Gemara. Now you can actually teach the Gemara as opposed to having to fight with the kids about reading the Gemara. I think that's, a, I, I personally, as you can see, am very passionate about this because I think it has the potential if teachers see it not as, a, not as a threat to them, but as a tool to make them better teachers that it could be incredibly, incredibly powerful. The way I liken it, I actually say, you know, I remember when I was, and I went seventh grade because we would just schmooze, but at some point, you know, the rabbi said, okay, go learn this Bechavrutza and then come back and we'll talk about it. Okay, and, and so what's the idea? He said, oh, my job is to teach you what the Gemara says. Figure that on your own. You know, figure out what the Gemara says so then we can actually have a discussion. So the idea of Kita, and the, at least on the simplest level is, Figure it out on your own. Have somebody teach you the very basic level, what the words of the Mishnah mean. 
Like for example, today I was, you know, I was doing, a, I was, I was preparing the the Mishnah, the, the last Mishnah, the first uh, in the first chapter of Masechet Brachot, the first parak of Brachot. And the last Mishnah talks about maskiwing to see out mitzvayim balayla. Okay, and Harayani Kevin Shivim Shana. I don't have time to go into what it means, Harayashim Kevim Shivim Shana. It's a 10 minute video. There's so much material there. Once the students know what the material is, what does it mean, Lahavidi Mota Mashiach? I didn't even get into that at all. They're like, full, this. Full like, Pesach Seder is spent on that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's like this endless amounts of material. Once the children know what the, what the words actually mean, to say, okay, what did Chazal want us to understand by Maskiwin Yitziat Mitzrayim Baleilot? Why do we have to mention Yitziat Mitzrayim at night? Why is that important? Why is it important to, to, you know what I'm saying? There's so much more than just even learning and reading the material, which the teacher has to do as well. You know, but you're doing it with so much more advanced. Bezrat Hashem, it's very new, it's a new model, and it'll take time, but we have to be patient and diligent. Now, I want to switch, I want to switch it just in the same uh, conversation, but we talk, we're talking to the education, to learning online, but what about, what about teaching online? What does it take to be a teacher at in the flip learning uh, like model, both in classroom and both online? What is it? Uh, can anyone do it? Is that is an easy process or what's the process to do that? No, I think the answer is yes and no. You have to you have to know in your head exactly what you want to teach. Meaning the like we, I developed with, with my partner's name is by Johnny Solomon. We developed a whole rubric of how to prepare a lesson how we want the lesson to look, how we want it to, 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 to be developed. But it's much more than that. Like I said, you have to understand what kind of things you want to emphasize. If I would show you a Kita lesson, like I highlight certain texts. I, I, man, I design the text in a certain way. Like I said, visual learning is very important. So when you open a Sefer, so a child who, does, who learns visually doesn't see anything. Because it's all like, if you, like you know, the Vilna Shas was great for its time, but that was Vilna in the, you know, the 18th century. But nowadays, we have the ability to manipulate text, to color it, to highlight it in order to learn certain things, which can make it that much more approachable for, for children who want to understand what the text is actually doing. So you want to do that. You want to know what words you want to teach. You want to, you want to have a good idea of how you want to teach something. And, and it's got to be somebody who's experienced. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to teach this the first time and think that you're going to be able to explain it and uh, be able to do it. I, I, I liken it to the, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour rule. You know, if you do something long enough, hopefully you're, you'll be good enough at it that, that it's meaningful for people, that it's a meaningful lesson, that's something that will cause you to, to learn in a real way. And Baruch Hashem, we've had good results, and it doesn't have to be me. Rabbi Solomon teaches Chumash, and I'm hiring, I hired another teacher to teach Megillat Rut, who's an expert teacher in Tanakh. So, like, he's, like the benefit of it, of course, is... Like, you know, those MOOCs in, uh, in, uh, in, that these universities do. You can get great teachers to teach, to teach basic material and, and have it be taught very well, which is something that I think many schools would probably want. Most people would probably want. Right. That, I think that's the key though, to what you're saying is that the, it's not just about knowing lots of information, which for sure in Gemara teaching, we, you know, that's what a lot of the Rebbeim look like. They, look, they know a lot of Torah, but here it's, it's also... It takes an educator. It takes somebody who knows how to give over that idea in a, in a concise lesson. So it's much more. I, I would agree with that totally. I, I think there's a misunderstanding. I mean, the lessons we're doing are from middle school, but even if you get to high school, seventh and eighth, ninth, tenth, even eleventh grade, unless you're your yeshiva gadola and doing, you know, egle tal or something, you have to be able to teach someone how to read something. What are the ideas behind it? How to think? 
to get them to, to be passionate about the material and challenging the material, which is somewhat esoteric, somewhat abstract. That's what education is all about. And you probably knew, know, to be a, a good seventh grade teacher or eighth grade teacher, you know as much Torah as you need to know probably by the end of high school. But you don't know how to teach it. You know, teaching is an entirely different thing. It's a, you know, and I think you can learn to be a good teacher, but you have to learn how to teach, which is not necessarily, you know, it's, it's challenging. And nowadays it's especially challenging with discipline and, and uh, you know, all of the other areas and the, and the social and psychological elements. Nowadays, my wife is a teacher and she's an amazing teacher. I think more important today is emotional teaching than anything. If a child feels connected to their teacher, that their teacher cares about them, They'll learn anything. Whereas if the, if the teacher just treats them like, you know, you're a notebook I want to write in, the child doesn't want to learn. It doesn't matter what, how good the material is. That's, uh, Which is a challenge for Kita, is it not? Because it's... You um, have, you have yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, especially in... Um, so right now, we're, we just started. So we started in the schools and we're rolling it out to the schools. And at the same time, we wanted to offer it to, to families that are homeschooling. And so right now, the way we designed it is really, it's just a tool for homeschooling. That the, the, that the parents get the lessons, the children do the lessons online and fill it out. And I have a rabbi actually in England who's sort of like their online guy just to make sure they're answering correctly and encouraging them to continue. But I think that there's something missing, meaning it's, it's a very motivated child or a very motivated family that's going to keep children doing online lessons like Khan Academy. So there has to be an outside motivator. Even if you see Khan Academy, they're, they gamified it. You get points for doing this and that, which uh, uh, if you're interested, I'll tell you how we do our technology. Very, very simply. I don't, have, I don't have any budget for any of that stuff. So there's no gamification at all. So we're, re, we're relaunching. And if you know families that are out there, and it's good that we're publicizing this, families that don't have access to Jewish day school, or they might live in a community where isn't day school, or their children are not able to attend a day school because... I don't think this replaces day school in any way, shape, or form. But if a child is in middle school and this is appropriate for them, they should reach out because when we start in January, the second um, uh, semester, we're going to continue if families want just the lessons. But we're going to also include where I'm going to do a Zoom lesson once a week with the kids because I think that they need that connection. I think they need that the, the socialization, as it were, and the motivation to be connected. Yeah, and it really a lot of it is, oh, you know, Rabbi Spolz is going to go over the lesson and he's, you know, I want, I don't want, I want him to know that I did it. I want him to know that, that it's there and hopefully they'll want, they'll want to have a relationship with me. And I'm kind of looking forward to that. Right. Perhaps that emotional connection you can give over on a Zoom, a Zoom class as well. So it depends how large a class is. We'll see. It's all, this is a new world, a brave new world. I wouldn't want to do only Zoom, but the idea is there's a lot of learning going on, what we call asynchronously. And then the idea of the synchronous, the Zoom lesson, the online, you know, the, the live lesson is to reinforce that which they learned on their own, you know, and you try to do that once a week. Cool. We'll see well, how that goes. Once you brought up Zoom, I'm curious to know, you obviously have your eyes wide open watching what's going on in the world. And you see that lots of, lots of schools now due to the pandemic are all moving, you know, what they call online learning. It's obviously very different than Kita's and, and Mishnayomit's online learning. So what do you think that schools are doing right and what are they doing wrong? How can they improve? their their zoom game See, you ask really good questions uh, let me ask you I'll, I'll throw it back at you how much do you think your kids were learning when they were in school 
um, out of an eight an eight hour day, maybe three hours, four hours. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, you understand what I'm saying? Meaning, we yeah. we never we as parents were never sitting watching the kids learn in school and knowing how much learning there was was actually going on in the classroom in any given time. You know, so to imagine that they're learning 100 percent of the time. It, it simply isn't, it wasn't happening. You know, there's take out your books and da, 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 da. And any teacher will tell you until you start and Moshi sit down and Bracha, you're not listening, you know, like, like anything. So I, I happen to think schools that knew what they were doing or, and I would say also there's, there's so much inequality when it comes to this. You know, the pandemic hit my family in a certain place where I'm in a pretty large house we have a device for every person who needs one, right? So we're not juggling devices or, 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 or any of that. And my daughter sees, I sit and work all day and my wife sits and works all day. And my, my youngest daughter, she's sitting in the computer and she sits and works all day. I, I think she's learning beautifully. And the best lessons are the ones where the teacher spends 10 minutes on the Zoom explaining it and says, okay, now do, now do this assignment. And, you know, the parents have to follow up. I happen to think she's learning pretty well. You know, I, I, I don't know necessarily it's so important for them to go to school every single day. You know, if you could find the, if you could combine some learning, she definitely misses the socialization. She definitely True. misses that. But to say that she learns more in school, I'm not 100% convinced. You know, in, in yeshiva, it's, it's very different. Uh, there's no Beit Midrash atmosphere. There's a lot missing about that. That's fundamentally different. But again, it all depends on the training and the willingness of the teachers. So my son, I have a son in high school now, and now he's stuck at home. Some teachers really adapt very, very well. And some try to just literally lecture. Like I said, I was in university. University lectures are death. They're like, you know, it's like, it's one thing if you're sitting in the classroom, you have to focus. Right. And then you can imagine ask those questions. on Zoom. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, God. I, I was on one or two of them. They're, it's like a nightmare. But try to get a, you know, like universities are not, I would say not all not all professors are very good teachers. They're just True. not. You know, they're they're reading from their from their papers, and it's like the worst. So the answer is it all depends on the nature of the teacher. The teacher who wants to adapt to technology and use it properly and understands, okay, we're gonna zoom, we're gonna talk for ten minutes, and now sit and read your books, or we're gonna talk for ten minutes now, watch this video and do this assignment that's designed for you, and the, the kids can learn a lot. The problem is in Limude Kodesh, those, that material isn't out there. Like all the secular teachers in America, they're like, oh, um, do this kind of academy thing and then do this Kahoot. And then I want you to do this, you know, this. There's like a ton of learning material out there. All the Limude Kodesh teachers are like, well, I've, I've got a couple of sheets on chinuch.org that I can give them, you know, and that's about it. So, so they're stuck teaching them live. And the kids are, are how, how long can you watch a, a person teach, talk to you on Zoom? Right, and that, and that's exactly what I wanted to bring out here. That, you know, we it, it's not about the children as much. It, part of it is the children are not as motivated, but teachers need to be motivated to actually re, redo and reestablish, reconstruct their lessons because not a classroom. I want to. I want to. You have to. Let, let's let's move back a little bit because go. I look at it this way, and I I was I'm I'm there also in a certain way, like a teacher has can be one of two things. A teacher could be like the repository of information, you know, the, the, the owner of the information. And I own, here's the things that I know that I'm, my job is to impart to you. Okay, and that's the old model of teacher, the lecturer. I will stand and I will give you this information and then you will learn it from me and that's how you will learn. 
And that's how I went to math. That's how we went to high school, right? Went to high school, the math teacher taught and you learned from him and then you went home and did the problems. But now we're living in a world that's very different where the material, all the information is available. The, the problem is two things. The children are not aware of it. They're not interested in it and they don't know how to handle it. There's too much information. And so the job of the teacher has now shifted from, from the repository or the, you know, the, the owner of the information to the curator and the guide of the information to teach children how to find the information they want to use, how to organize it, how to think about it, how to present it. Because it's, you know, we all know kids who are brilliant, who know how to do a ton of things, but can't put a sentence together. And that's, that's the job of a good teacher. Think about, like, you, know, you know, we're all familiar with what Einstein famously said. Education is everything you learn, you, for, you, you know, after you forgot everything that you learned. Okay, so, and think about in Chinuch. I'm not blessed with a memory. We know all the, there, are, there are, in every yeshiva, there's one Eloi who never forgets anything, and then there's the rest of us. Okay, so what's Chinuch? Chinuch is your ability to deal with and to pick up a Mishnah and understand it. Like, I learned it last time, and I don't remember exactly what it is. Oh, yeah, but I can figure it out. If you can't figure it out, then you didn't learn anything. Because when you forget everything that you learned, and you will, you don't have the ability to re-remember it at all. So the job of a teacher today is to show the kids, like, they have, there's art school everything. But do we really want our students to say, okay, I'll go to Daf Yomi Shir and I'll follow the Daf in English. Okay, maybe, yeah, that might be fine, honestly, if that's the goal. And that's a lot of goal, that's a, lot, that's a very good goal. But our goal is no to say, I want him to have an ownership on this material. I want him to understand that when he learns a Mishnah, or the, that the Gemara is quoting a Mishnah, and that he knows how to find that Mishnah. And he knows that the Mishnah in Eidiot, that Eidiot is a Masechta. And that he knows why the Gemara is quoting another Mishnah and what Chazal are trying to do in order to understand that they were asking fundamental questions and using that in order to understand and answer those questions. Because then it becomes really interesting. Then they understand that Chazal weren't just quoting things, but they were asking deep questions that they wanted answers to, that everybody wants answers to. And then, then maybe the student will hopefully try to go to another Gemara class after he finishes high school. You know, so th that's, that shift in thinking is not something that Limudei Kodesh has had to do at all. And COVID, I think, is the first time that they're being exposed to this idea and it does not happen quickly at all. And I don't know if it's even going to happen. They're going to try to go back. When, when COVID is over, they're going to immediately go back to the way it was. The children are not going to want to go back because children, once exposed will find Mishnah, the Mishnah project on the internet and they say, oh, I, already learned, I know what that Mishnah says. I'm not, I, I, what do I need you for? And, 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 you know, and now there's Dafyomi on the internet and, and you, know, there, you could find all the sheets, you could find all this material. And over a shift in time, teachers will learn that just like their Rabbanim did, their Rabbanim were curators. You know, when I went to Shir, he didn't tell me, he said, read this and this and this and find this Marimakom and this Marimakom and learn it together. And then I'll tell you what it says. So why shouldn't, uh, I don't know, why should a ninth grade teacher do the same? Learn this Mishnah, bring out your art scroll, okay, but now I'm going to ask you what the words mean. And you should understand what the words mean and you should have the skills to understand and how to decode those words. Because we're going to learn it in another context and we're going to apply it and see, can you use now what we call higher order thinking skills in order to apply what you've learned in another area. And then the kids, then the lights go on, and the kid's like, oh, whoa, maybe I can do this. And maybe it's something that I am interested in. That's my, that's my view of education.
No, and I think that I, just to take it one step further, I think that answers an issue of, of connection and excitement about learning as well. When kids actually understand and can learn it from its core, Mishnah makes sense, Gemara makes sense as a, you know, as a text and they can read it. So we don't, we're not so struggled anymore. How do we keep kids interested about Judaism? They're learning a text. They're excited about it. There's been systems that sort of work like that. I don't know if they all work that well, but I think that that's, that's a core issue in the excitement and the learning. I've, I myself was a teacher in yeshiva um, here in Israel for American boys. And it was, it was interesting because you were grappling with those two issues. And as soon as the boys get old enough and they've, they've done it, they've done enough reps, uh, not their 10,000 hours, but they've done, right. No, no, right. Yeah. You know, the yeshiva boys, but they've done, they've done their, they've, they've done a few years of it. So then they start getting excited. Why now? Why after two years? Because now they understand what they're doing and they understand what they're reading and it's not breaking their teeth. So it can, it, everything can sort of flow and from there. That's what correct. I, 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 I agree. It's very hard when they're younger. It's very, very hard when they're younger. But you can, you can, there are ways, good teachers know how to do this, how to, you know, have that aha moment that you can get children to ask questions and show them that either the Gemara is asking exactly that question or Rashi's asking that question. And once you show them that and say, oh, you know, these questions are not new. Your question is an important question that somebody asked first, you know, how do we feel? We love, we love when the Rebbe said, ah, Spolter, you could be about Tosmos. You know, like, oh, look, okay, maybe I do own this. Maybe I do have a part in this. That's, uh, th that's really what the idea is all about. Awesome. I, I love the mission. And um, I love to ask this, I love to ask this question also to um, educators, online educators, that it's, um, obviously the technology is a is a tool but how do you view this do you view this as like the technology and the ability to spread torah to so many more people and these fundamental skills is this just a is this a torah value to use the technology or is this just a vehicle this is where we're at today because of covid because of, because of the internet um, or is it an actual torah value how do you how do you view that can you explain your meaning is the technology itself a torah value to use the technology um, okay, so I like to think, I, I, I explain it this way. You, every tool was built to achieve a certain goal, meaning, uh, you know, you, you, a person designed a fork or God designed a fork. A fork was designed to pick up and eat food. So if I wanted to, could you kill, a, a, could, you, could you shecht an animal with a fork? In theory, you could, but it would just be harder to do because it wasn't designed to do that. So when you say technology, you have to ask yourself what technology? Okay, you know, should a rav, should a yeshiva have a microphone so that people can hear the Rebbe? Of course, that's technology. That technology was designed to amplify a person's voice so that you could hear him. It would be insane to say, I don't use technology, I'm anti-microphones, correct? Because that, that, that technology is a tool that's designed to enhance people's ability to hear what somebody is saying. Now, on the other hand, when you turn to social media or things of that nature, you have to ask yourself, what's the nature of that tool? What's that tool designed to use? Is that tool designed to promote Torah or is that tool designed to promote something else? So anybody who knows anything about social media understands that the things that it promotes best are things that are controversial things that get people upset, things that get people angry, things that get people, you know, riled up or passionate about something. Not generally your average, you know, Rambam. Meaning, 
social media in that case, I'm on social media, not because I think it's the ideal forum in order to exchange ideas, but that's where people are and that's how you have to reach them. And I think if you ignore that and you say, well, I'm going to ignore Facebook or I'm going to ignore the internet or I don't want to have a website. Okay, that's very good, but they're, they're going to be watching something. You know, they're, they're, their kids need something and that's how you have to, that's the ability to, to bring it to them. I think video, interestingly, I used to wonder the same thing. Meaning, do I used to fear that when a person sits in front of a video, that his brain kind of turns off. And so you're, you're almost asking to do the impossible by teaching him over YouTube. I was afraid of that. But I think that over the past five, seven years, I think society has fundamentally changed. While that was true at one point, now, if you want to know something, you want to learn something, you want to learn how to do literally almost anything, the first thing you do is Google YouTube and say, well, can, can you teach me how to fix my toilet? Or can you teach me how to put together a sentence? Or can you teach me how to write this line of code? Somebody's done it and will show you how to do it on YouTube. So I think now society has shifted in a way where we're now ready to learn over YouTube in a way that maybe they weren't when I, when I, first, when I first started. So the answer isn't technology per se, yes or no. The answer is always, what technology? You know, what was it designed for? I personally, if I had my druthers, I would love for there to be a social network of, of learning for the Agudas Israel or somebody to build a social network of learning where there isn't all that garbage, where I could, you know, like I could have meaningful discussions with people. Well, there you have it. Anybody are, wants a business idea or a, a No, there's no that. money in it. No, who's going to pay money for that? I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? Who's going to co... Who's going to... I mean, honestly... It, if, if the people were smart, like where I could go on and there are there, there are these like sort of sub networks or subreddits or groups where people do that. But social networks were really built beautifully to allow people to engage. But, you know, you want to be on some subgroup and then you get interrupted by by total like waste of time. And I, don't know, I get sucked in like everybody else. So is it worth it? Yes or no, like everything else, in the, like everything else in life. Fascinating. Yeah. That, yeah. What's interesting because you're also, you don't, you don't buy into like in, in most of the stuff you do, you're not edutainment. You don't turn into the YouTube, you know, rabbi where you're just teaching uh, via the, the same medium that, that YouTubers talk through. So that's an interesting point. How so you, so you raise a very, 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 very um, touchy point because right now as I'm trying to grow, so I have these business advisors and one of the business advisors said, you know, it's got to be more flashy. You got to attract more people. You got to do different things and more, more interesting to people. I said, that's not my brand. I want to teach the material. The idea is that people will come to me because not because they want their children to want to sit in front of it, but because they want their children to learn how to read a Mishnah. The problem, and it will come, I believe, but it, but it will take time to find that, to find that niche, to create that model where people understand, no, this is real, real learning. And, and, I'm going to have to be together with my children and encourage them and say, you know, this is your learning. Just like you learn English and you go to school, this is part of your, of your, of your learning, even though it's not quote unquote fun. You know, I approached When I went to Mishnah, I approached a very well-known rabbi and he's like, it's gotta be flashier. It's gotta be, it's gotta be, it's gotta be more exciting. You need more graphics, need more like, you know, he said, bring me $5 million and we'll do mission together. And if I, I wanted to say to him, if I had $5 million, I, I, I wouldn't be sitting in front of you, okay? <laughs> but, but anyway, I davka do, I call it low tech for two reasons. One, 
you could waste a lot of money developing technology, a lot of money. Number two, I will never be able to compete with, you know, Disney or any of that. Never. I mean, no matter what. And so anything that I could produce that looks good today. Even YouTubers, is, you wouldn't be able to compete. These guys have 20 million, you know, subscribers. Oh my God, they're unbelievable. Like, yeah, they're, I mean, you know, it, it's, it is what it is. I teach Mishnah. And I just want to point out one other thing. Like, one of the reasons I, I'm able to do what I do is it's all off-the-shelf software. It's not even software. It's YouTube videos embedded in Google Forms. And like you said, I didn't recreate, I didn't do it. I didn't create it. It's a model that I use that's a proven model, the Khan Academy model. Anyone can do it, but I don't think it's fair of administrators to expect their teachers to do it because it's a lot of, it's really, really hard. It's a lot of work. You don't expect your teachers to, to write their own workbooks, do you? I mean, if you do, you shouldn't because it's not reasonable. And just like you don't expect your teachers to write their own textbooks, don't expect them to professionally produce techn technology that's supposed to do the same thing. Because right. if you do, you'll A, burn them out, and B, get a subpar thing, par, par, par product that I think isn't gonna be effective educationally. You know, it's not like I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> the amount of money I'm asking for, for this course is like, it's, the money's not the issue. It's a matter of seeing the technology as something that's valuable in the classroom. Right. And that's a, that's a whole nother discussion with um, in terms of an educator who doesn't know the tech. Should we give him the infrastructure to be able to teach over it? Or is it only effective when he knows it and he's doing it on his own? Uh, and no, so no, no. And, and just like anything else, you have to learn how to use it and to be a good teacher. And I think, by the way, it's another thing that we can't. Another thing about about educators, teachers know how to teach. Good teachers know how to teach. You don't just plop them in and say, OK, here's Google Classroom. Do this now. That's not fair. You know, like if you're in your work and you're a programmer and I say, okay, you're a, I don't know, a J plus pro, we're going to say, okay, here's Python, do it. Whoa, 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 one second. Like, you know, train me how to do it. Treat me like a professional. Explain to me how to do it. Show me the value of this tool. Show me the power of this tool and then I'll use it. The same thing is absolutely true of ed tech. Like, is, is it reasonable to say to a teacher, okay, you taught in person with a group of students live. You should be able to do the same thing on Zoom. Like, really? No, no. Those are very different things. And to expect teachers to be able to do that, I happen to think our teachers have done amazing work given the constraints of COVID. And uh, I, I really, I see my wife doing it as on the other side. I take my hat off to her. They're working yomam balayla day and night to, to, to achieve, I think, pretty impressive things. To say that it's not working, I, I think that's not accurate necessarily. And, uh, and, uh, and I think we need to empower teachers, give them the tools, give them the training and then with all of those things and they'll do great work with the tools that they have with new technological tools that are available to them amazing oh, i love that I, you know i'm open to, to being wrong i'm glad we agree you know like <laughs> um okay rabbi spolter thank you so much for joining me uh if anybody wants uh to to reach out to you or to find your mission Yoma, i know we put it we said it scattered throughout the uh the episode but if you want to just uh throw out a few things here this is the this is the space Ah, great. Okay, so the Mishnah Project is, uh, is at Mishnah.co, Mishnah with an H, M-I-S-H-N-A-H.co. You can find it there. And uh, you can click on the links to subscribe to the WhatsApp group or the Telegram channel or what have you, or the YouTube channel. It's all there. It's pretty self-explanatory. You can find pretty much any Mishnah in Shas. Um, God willing, one day, the idea is to make it like a Lezecha Nishmas. But imagine a Lezecha Nishmas where you sign up and then you get an email with a link to the video of the Mishnayot so that makes to help you learn them each day on your schedule. 
that's, uh, that's, that's in my mind. It's not, it's not in my plans yet, but it's in my mind, God willing. Um, and Kita is uh, either for schools or Kita for homeschooling. We have a new program coming up called Kita for Home Plus. That'll be starting January 5th, and we're looking for families. So if you know of a family, please send them my way, kita.org, K-I-T-A-H.org. And uh, you can find me, I'm very easy to find, rspolter, Ruven Spolter, rspolter at gmail.com. All right, thanks so much for having me. It's, uh, you, can see, like, you can see I'm passionate about technology. I think this is the world in which we live, and we have to learn to adopt these technologies to promote the learning of Torah, because there are, there are you realize, I'll just, there are so many people out there that are thirsting for meaningful learning. And if we, if we harness these opportunities in the right way, it really has the power to, to change lives. You know, Limud Yomi changes my day. And anybody who does it, does it knows that when I learn every day, my day is better than if I don't. And we can bring this to millions of Jews around the world.